0: Well, let us pray. Father God, we thank you that we can uh, fellowship with you uh, and in a sense one another as we open up your word. We pray that uh, you would be speaking to our hearts, our minds, growing us in Christ uh, so that you are glorified. Uh, We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, You'll need your Bibles open as we turn to Nehemiah chapter four. When our daughter was four and a half, we were faced with a decision about starting kindergarten. Like many parents, is now too early or do we wait a year? So we had that decision to make and we thought it's like, you know, her entire educational future is at stake. Of course, it keeps coming up as well. Uh, When older kids get driver's licenses or a job or a mobile phone or whatever it is, that question keeps coming back to us. Did we send it too early? Should we have held her back so she could be closer to the age of her peers? Well, will our decision be vindicated as parents? But it's not the only decision, is it? I mean, do I let my kids drink Coke? Or do I let them watch Star Wars? Uh, my son, he does parkour, if you know what that is. Uh, is he learning a life skill that's good for running away from the police? Uh, uh, am I raising a future criminal? Uh, I mean, as, as we raise our children, we want to do the best by them. And, and it's good when our decisions prove to be right and wise. Uh, and we see it in sport too, on the news, with politicians. So much of it is about this question of vindication. Is this the course of action is it right we want to be vindicated and to be vindicated is to be cleared of error or weakness and instead to be shown um, to be right or reasonable or justified I mean vindication is there anything better Uh, here we are in Nehemiah last week we asked will Nehemiah be successful will his hope in the covenant promises of God will they be vindicated We heard last week that Nehemiah cares deeply about the kingdom of God. Jerusalem's a wasteland. It's a haunt for jackals. He's in grief about that. But he has uh, the king of Persia's approval to set about rebuilding Jerusalem's walls 1,300 kilometers away from Persia. And so we go, yeah, go you good thing, right? Go you good thing, Nehemiah. But opposition looms. And so our question today is sharpened a little because it's not so much now, will Nehemiah be successful? Uh, With this taste of opposition, it it nuances the question to, will Nehemiah be vindicated? There's opposition there in chapter 2. You can see it it starts in verse 10, I think, and verse 19, it pops up. We picked it up at chapter 4. Chapter 4, Sambalat, Tobiah. Uh, that's external opposition from neighboring provinces. Uh, they're out to cause strife. And we heard that in the reading that I read out for you. Uh, did you notice verse 7? We'll have a quick glance at verse 7 of chapter 4. out to Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, so the crowd's getting bigger, uh, and the people of Ashdod now, uh, heard that the repairs to Jerusalem walls had gone ahead, Uh, and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come up and fight against Jerusalem and to stir trouble up against it. Or verse 11, Our enemy said, before they know it or see us, we'll be right there among them and we will kill them and put an end to their work. What lovely neighbours that uh, Nehemiah has. Opposition, who enjoys it? Surely nobody. Who here goes looking for a fight? Surely nobody. Surely. It's nauseating. Notice the weapons of opposition. Include ridicule, anger, insults, threats, scheming and strife. And what is Nehemiah's response? Well, he's going to do what he's done all along since chapter 1. He's going to pray. Here opposition arises. Nehemiah responds... In prayer. Uh, it's a salty prayer though, isn't it? Uh, verse 4. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight. Wow. Salty prayer. Hear us, say, God. We need to remember the prospect of peace and reconciliation is not on view here. These are violent enemies of the kingdom of God. And like many psalms, this is a prayer of vindication. Vindicate us, God. They're coming at us. They are your enemies and ours. Uh, verse 9 is another example. But we pray to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Nehemiah is a prayerful leader. This is a great encouragement to us. And so here's a side note on prayer, if I may. Uh, See, his prayerfulness is married with action. He prays about the threat. He commits it to God. Big ticks. But it doesn't mean that Nehemiah just sits back and does nothing because, you know, God's got this. (laughs) No way. Uh, Look at verse 16. From that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows and armor. The officers posted themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a a weapon in the other and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. There it is. They stay on task. They are focused and they prepared for anything. Uh, they're still responsible for building. They're still responsible for defending themselves. And here's, here's the thing. Do we think that when we entrust things to God in prayer, that it somehow absolves us from further responsibility and action? I mean, who would ever say to Nehemiah in these circumstances, hey, hey Nehemiah, just let go and let God. Who would say that to Nehemiah? Don't worry about it. God's got this. And so then the question then is, is this something that we do? Is this something that we see with evangelism? Does it work like this? We know our family and friends need Jesus. And so we rightly pray our socks off for our family and friends that they'd know Jesus. But when God provides us with the opportunity to speak, to witness, to act at, to say something, to speak into that uh, situation, to be an answer to our own prayers, we don't come at it. Oh, but I prayed. And so that becomes an excuse. How does that work? Or maybe it's personal conflict. We pray about personal conflict, but if it's appropriate, Have we sought out the other person that we're in conflict with? Oh, no, but I prayed about it. (laughs) Do you see? Do you see the issue? Well, feed the hungry, care for the poor? Oh, no, no, no. But I didn't give them anything to eat, but, but I did pray about it. Just let go and let God, right? Do we forget that we are the body of Christ? We are joined to him we are about his work and his kingdom, do we believe Christ is present in and through his people as we speak, as we serve, as we pray, but also as we act? We now shine the light of his love on our community as we embody Christ, surely. And so prayer and action isn't one or the other, it's both. Here, it's both for Nehemiah as he counters opposition. And so that's the side note done on the question of vindication. How's Nehemiah looking? Is he looking okay? What do you think? He's looking all right, I think. But if things were tough on the outside, chapter five reveals threats on the inside. In chapter five, we will meet people inside the walls uh, who are hungry. There is social and economic drama. Uh, And like any crisis, there are some people taking advantage for their own gain. And so, for example, in chapter 5, whatever the foreigners did to God's people, Nehemiah's people, it seems that the wealthy among them are doing it to their own now. Jewish slaves are purchased back from foreigners by Jewish businessmen, but the slaves are not redeemed and set free. No, they're still slaves. Um, Our guys are doing what those guys did, but it's actually our guys are charging interest as well. They're charging interest. They're loading it up. And so verse 9, Nehemiah calls them out. Taking on the money is. Taking on the money is a bold thing to do. Unless, of course, you fear God more. So we have two chapters. Chapter 4, external threats. Chapter 5, internal threats. Which brings us to chapter 6 and in chapter 6 both the external threats and the internal threats come together. If you read through chapter 6 you will see that Sambalat and Tobiah are in cahoots with nobles and prophets and the like. And they try and set us a, a trap. They play this he said she said kind of um, childish kind of game in verses 5 to 7 of chapter 5 and Nehemiah I mean, it sounds like schoolyard school stuff, uh, but I kind of love Nehemiah's response. And he says in uh, chapter six, of verse eight, "Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your own head." <laughs> I, I just think that's just fantastic, isn't it? Nothing like you say is happening. You're making it up out of your own head. Wow. Um, It reminded me of a time when I was a much younger man. uh, And I said this to our then minister. I said, uh, there's opposition to this. There's opposition to these ideas and these plans. People are saying this and that. And the minister replied, Adam, have you heard the story about the rabbit? No. Tell me about the rabbit. He said, well, the rabbit's out in the field, frolicking in the sun. But the rabbit stopped he put his ears up to listen. And that's the end of the story. And I'm like, what, what, why? What happened to the rabbit? What happened to the rabbit? And he said, well, the rabbit got shot through the head. <laughs> Do you see his point? <laughs> when people are out on the hunt, And they've got you in their sights. Don't entertain their rubbish. Don't stop and listen. If it's vacuous threats like this, don't stop and listen. Take Nehemiah's lead. Uh, This is a great lesson in gossip and how we respond, isn't it? Not just for pastors, for all of us. The encouragement is just keep being faithful to the Lord and being about his kingdom. So opposition is not a new thing for the people of God. Uh, Opposition is not a new thing for the people of God. We see that here in these chapters, both inside and out. Think about Noah. He had outside opposition. People laughed at him. But then even after the the flood and the deliverance, there was internal turmoil as well, wasn't there? You think about Israel's judges, uh, Israel's kings, They had problems from external enemies, nothing new there. They had problems within as well, didn't they? Uh, Prophets, they're the same. Uh, And then we get Jesus. Jesus, the ultimate kingdom man. And he experienced opposition from all quarters, didn't he? Romans, Jewish leaders, the the priests, uh, the chief priests, the crowds of Jerusalem, uh, and then internally, Judas, Uh, Hebrews 12 is a nice comfort. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Uh, That's something to write on your fridge, isn't it? Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And the apostles, you can read the apostle Paul, his letters. We see opposition to Christ's church from the outside but we also see it from within within the church body and the same can be said of the church today whether it's the persecuted church in Africa or Asia or the Middle East or Victoria or persecution within the institutions of the church here Anglicans take note Bible believing Christians who revere God his holy name who love his holy word as authoritative, who uphold biblical principles on marriage and sex and gender and abortion and all those things, those who acknowledge the world's rebellion against God and the judgment to come and our desperate need for Jesus as the answer to that. Well, the world has always been opposed. There's nothing new here. The world has always been opposed to God and his kingdom we're consistent we're so predictable but I guess what we see here in Nehemiah is that we're reminded today that we're we're not just the bad guys anymore Christians aren't just the bad guys anymore we're dangerous is that news to you that we're the bad guys it might be it's worse than that we're actually dangerous look at Victoria The Conversion Practices Bill that passed last week prohibits people from praying or sharing uh, their views from a Christian standpoint on LGBTI issues. Any matter of sex or gender identity, all that stuff. Even if a person comes to church for help and if they allege harm or great offence or hurt, Criminal charges can be laid. But don't worry, if you're a pastor and you don't know now where the line is with all of that, the Victorian government has promised to send you an education pack so that you can upskill, so that you can accord basically with the government's doctrine. A prayer for sexual abstinence could be deemed suppression and is therefore potentially criminal. Holding a Christian standpoint is dangerous to others. That is what this bill is about. I mean, the last thing Christians want to be is criminals, right? We don't want to be the bad guys. And worse, we don't want to be seen as being dangerous. And we don't want to be criminals. But we want to be vindicated, don't we? And isn't the Bible here telling us that humanity is always going to shake their fist At God, that humanity's normal disposition is always to agitate against the kingdom of God, any expression of his rule, his presence, his power, because we know better, apparently. So, is Nehemiah vindicated? Well, the walls get rebuilt in chapter 6, verses 15 to 16. You can read that. It's tools down, hallelujah. Building project is done, walls are up, the enemies are discouraged. But is that it? Is this really where things end? Oh, we've got two more weeks to find out. But we can still be sure that the darkness lurks. It doesn't matter, can I say, how many walls are built or how many stones are laid. It doesn't matter how many walls are finished, even under Herod, later on, as spectacular as it becomes. The pattern is still the same for God's people. There's still going to be opposition. And maybe this is how we're to get on. Maybe this is the first thing for us, that opposition is par for the course for the kingdom of God people. I mean, the rate of persecution of Christians globally in the last hundred years has never been higher. But as I mentioned already, we live in a community now where we are the bad guys culturally. Socially, we're the bad guys. And I think we need to get used to that. All that we see in the opposition here, the insults for Nehemiah, the violence, the threats, the slander, it's it's just the same stuff today. The devil's tactics are still the same. And so it's par for the course. So be watchful, keep your eyes open, be prepared because we're in hostile territory and be praying. But as we think about the outside opposition we also need to be mindful of the rot inside as well and the rot inside comes institutionally when our institutions depart from the authority of God's word hello anglicans or it happens also within our hearts personally when christians cave into sin and succumb to gossip or sexual sin which is Uh, particularly destructive 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is worth a look so opposition is the norm second thing is is to remember that we're in a spiritual battle so we can expect a fight and how must we fight how Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 tells us for a reason that we're to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power we're to put on the full armor of God so that we can stand against the devil's schemes The armor of God in Ephesians 6 means we have the resources for the fight. We have the resources uh, for which we can contend with the opposition and the devil, so to speak. We have it, but it's not a trowel and it's not a spear. And you'll say, okay, yeah, of course, we have prayer. We talked about that and we have God's word, yep. And we have one another as the body of Christ. Yep. And we have the Holy Spirit. And we have the gospel. And this is the last thing. We have the gospel. The promise of the gospel uh, is a promise of vindication. Christians can look forward to being vindicated. When Jesus returns universally every knee will bow before Jesus that's what Philippians chapter 2 says every knee will bow or Revelation 5 there's a picture there and in other places all the opposition in the world one day everyone will bow before Jesus believers and unbelievers will confess him as king of the universe Believers will serve Jesus and worship him and those who oppose him will taste his judgment in hell. And will that be a day of vindication when Christ returns and the trumpet sounds answer? Absolutely. But that's not a source of pride for us. It will be the beginning of a time where all opposition will be put to an end. Sin, death, evil will be no more which means Nehemiah has us looking for more, hankering for more. So much of life is uncertain. So much of life we are wondering, is this right? Is it safe? Can I know? But the message of the gospel is that in Jesus we can be and we will be. Vindication, our vindication was secured at the cross, guaranteed in his resurrection and by the spirit. The vindication we need is the one before God where God looks at us and sees us, sins forgiven, made new, righteous with him. We need to be vindicated before him. Jesus has come. Jesus will come again in light of all this suffering and pain and confusion and even opposition. Vindication before God awaits and so I wonder is this a game changer for you as you walk the path of faithfulness and maybe experience some flack does that help you motor on does it spur you on to holiness and love and good deeds because it's not for nothing it's all about Jesus and the good news is he's coming back and the encouragement for us is to be found among the faithful